Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome back to the Radiant Podcast. And this week, I have my new friend, Callie Rogers, joining us. Callie is the founder of Blush Online Life Coaching and works with female millennials around the globe to get over their quarter life crisis, grow their self-confidence, get over nasty breakups, and work on bettering their relationships. She truly has a thing or two to say about caring for yourself and knowing your values and learning your self-worth. She is the person that you just need to carry around in your pocket with you at all times, and I kept saying we all need a Callie in our life. She truly brings the sass, the spunk, and fun to this conversation, and I know you guys are going to love it. So let's get to it. Let's dive in. I can't wait for you guys to meet her. Hey, Callie. Hi, Kelsey. I am so glad to have you on today. I'm so excited for the Radiant Tribe to get to meet you. I would love for you to start by sharing your story, who you are, what you do. Tell us all the things. Perfect. I'll tell you all the things. Um, (laughs) This is always such an overwhelming question because I'm like, oh gosh, what do people want to know? Is this going to be boring? But we're just going to do it anyway. We're doing it. So let's see here. Um, Okay. So we'll start when I was 21 and I went through a giant quarter life crisis for I think a lot of reasons. One, I got dumped and that was probably the biggest reason. Like, I hate to admit that. Like my parents got divorced and I didn't do as well as I wanted to on the LSAT and like other more important things were going on. But I was like, a boy doesn't like me. This is awful. And that's really what started it. And I I just have to be honest with myself. So I think like the reason that that breakup was so important is because I had this like agenda and this vision of how my life was going to go. And I like was clinging onto that for dear life because I was about to graduate, right? 21, 22 is when you graduate college. And that was kind of the end of the formula. So it felt like I was looking over a cliff and I ended up going to grad school for counseling. And I say ended up because like, I didn't really feel like it was my first choice, which is hilarious because it's like what I'm good at. And I should have just pursued that, you know, from the beginning, but I didn't view it as like sexy. I don't know why I thought law school was sexy. Law school is the most unsexy thing ever. My dad's a lawyer. My husband's an ex-lawyer. I'm surrounded by lawyers. It's not sexy, but in my mind it was. And I think it just meant that like you were smart and accomplished and going to be successful, whatever. So it didn't pan out. I found this great program that didn't require a standardized test if you had you know done reasonably well in school. So that was perfect. I went, I graduated, got my first job, got fired, fell in love again, realized he wanted to move to LA. And I was just like working on my licensure for Texas. And like, I was at this crossroads all over again. And I was like, ah, why can't things just work out? So essentially, if I like try to compress it, because it's like where where it gets like really gnarly, but basically I had this idea because of a part-time job that I had bartending when I was in grad school. And I was seeing a problem with turnover at this particular restaurant that happened to be part of a bigger chain. It was, you know, kind of upscale. They hired really smart, incredible people to be managers, but these managers were socially isolated. They were overworked. They were well-paid, but they didn't have time to use any of their money, and they were really struggling. These people happened to be mostly 23, 24, 25-year-old women. And so I came up with this business plan that kind of coupled my 
counseling skills with my, you know, real life knowledge of the company and said, Hey, I want to do performance consulting for you and help you reduce turnover by guiding these, you know, young women into finding purpose, figuring out what's wrong. Why are they not enjoying their life? Give them some concrete tools to help while also having this background of what the company does. Yeah. And, um, they basically blew me off. Even though I like offered to work for free for a little bit just to like test the premise. And they were like, no. I was like, okay, okay, cool. So I was kind of stranded at that point. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Private practice wasn't working for me. It just wasn't clicking. Agency life wasn't going to happen. So, you know, my family was essentially like, why are you waiting for permission? Like this company doesn't have to say yes in order for you to do something. So I basically stripped the restaurant part of it, right? The consulting part of it out and saw what was left. And that essentially was blush. And so I, 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 you know, I built that, I got, you know, a small loan from my dad so I could really put it together. Cause I was, you know, I had some money saved from bartending, but not a ton. So it's not like I could have really done this on my own. So I'm super privileged and really, really grateful for that head start. And it was risky. So from there it grew, you know, into what it is today. And it's hilarious. I'm actually now doing some work for a company that runs me so much of that original restaurant that it's like all coming full circle, which is kind of fun. But yeah, so those, that's the highlight. I'm sure that was super long winded and I provided way too much detail, but that's really how I came to be. Wow. So a, I love that you started and just were real and said, this came, you know, I, I had harder things going on in my life, parents, divorce, LSAT scores, but really what it came down to is the boy didn't like me, which I think is so relatable. I mean, while it might feel embarrassing to say it out loud, I know that this has been me. And I know that this has been my listeners of like, we all have hard things going on in life. But the bottom line is when a boy doesn't like you, man, that could be a low blow. And we've all navigated it. We all will navigate it if you're not married already. And it, it's just a very real part of life and it can send you on some soul searching. And so one thing I saw from what you do is that you do help women get over nasty breakups. Would you say that sometimes rejection is what is what propels you into the thing that you're meant to carry into the world? Because for me, I came to a realization last year. My husband knows this. You know, we talk about it. I've been like, hey, do you hear if I develop messages out of this? This one boy that I liked for so long, and we probably liked each other at different times throughout college, and it just never worked out. And now, you know, fast forward almost 10 years later, I can see, oh my gosh, if we would have ended up together, we would have killed each other, and I would not have stepped into my destiny. And so, do you kind of see that often coming into play where it is painful, it's a low blow, but it can actually propel you into what you're meant to do in this world? Oh, absolutely. I mean, for starters, if I had actually, you know, married that guy who, you know, broke my heart way before we were even close to being engaged. So this would have been a leap. But let's say things had actually played out the way I wanted them to. The vision and the dream that I had for myself that was attached to this guy was so small. And I'm not trying to judge anyone who lives a certain life or whatever, but I was cutting myself so short. It was just so limiting. It was so unambitious. It was just everything was about him. And thank goodness he broke up with me because I was so under this spell that I don't know if I would have ever gotten out. Like I might've just kept on going and then maybe in 15 years woken up and been like, wow, I really didn't meet my full potential. Yeah. And, and 
And it would have been all you knew, so you wouldn't know the difference. But now on the other side, you know, oh, if I would have chosen another, if I would have walked down a different trajectory, I might not be living out of fullness that I get to do now. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so funny because I'm, you know, I'm married now and I met, you know, my husband and and I wasn't under the same spell at all with him. I was very enamored. I was very much in love, but I was also very aware of what I wanted to do, what I wanted to accomplish, what, what me following him, which essentially is what happened to LA meant for me. It wasn't all about him in, you know, this second relationship. And in the first one, uh, it really was all about him. And so I, it's almost like I had to go through that to understand like, hey, there was no balance there that was bound for failure. And you need to make sure that you're standing on your own two feet, even if you fall in love. So it's it's really great having that experience because when I, I can just, I can detect it like that anytime my clients come to me and they're in that spell. And I'm like, Ugh, this isn't healthy. There's a difference between infatuation and love. And you can love someone and love yourself at the same time. Infatuation just takes up so much space that there's almost no room for anything else. And it's blinding. It's really fun to be able to be like, okay, that's healthy. That's not. So we need to figure that out before we get anywhere else. 100%. So can you tell us what you do day to day with the clients you get to work with? I know you have a program that they can join. I would love to hear, and I would love for our listeners to hear more of what you get the privilege of doing and working alongside these women. So it's really fun. I mean, it's so funny. I almost feel like an old bird at this point because I've been working with my clients for years, and I really mean years. I haven't taken on a new client in probably two and a half years. Wow. So I've got like my VIPs, and so a lot of what we do now is maintenance, but for the most part, it's just me. Like I, I tell people this all the time. What we really do is we listen to stories. I'm a professional story listener, not a storyteller. And then I pick up on patterns. I pick up on inconsistencies and I pick up on bullshit. <laughs> really my job is to be the mirror, which you don't want to see. And I just kind of put it in your face and I'm like, this is what you're telling me. Are you aware of that? Do you, <laughs> you just said that. And how that reflects on you, how that doesn't line up with your values, how we need to adjust this. And so I know that a lot of people have like actual programs that they go through. And I think that's incredible and amazing. It's just so not my style because I really like to get to know somebody and to understand who they are because this thing won't work for that person that does work for this person. And the second that I try to copy paste a coaching style amongst clients. It just, it never works and people get frustrated because they don't see the results that they want. So it's hard to be able to put into words exactly what it is that I do other than the fact that, again, I tell everyone I'm a professional story listener <laughs> and I just like really do try and find inconsistencies and try to figure out when people are lying to me because yeah. even people that I absolutely adore and I've been working with for years they're lying to themselves and they're lying to me. And I do it too. (laughs) We all do it. it. It's not like I'm on this, you know, high pedestal and I'm perfect. So I get to dictate how everyone else runs their life. It's just, it's just the difference of having someone who's not you, right? Listen to your stories. And so what are some of the common limiting beliefs that you see in dating? And then I'd also love for you to chat about like, what are some of the precursors to these quarter life crises? crises, I guess you would say, that you often end up working with clients. 
on. Yeah. So let me see. Limiting beliefs in dating. So my favorite thing that I point out all the time is, and I don't know if you would consider this a limiting belief or not, but this is something that is a constant theme is that these incredible, beautiful, ambitious, smart, accomplished women, you know, even if they wouldn't say that about themselves, I, I believe that about all my clients, they'll go out on a date and they'll say like, you know what? Um, it was really, really fun. I like him a lot. I'm really into this. I can't wait to see him again, but you know, like he didn't like, you know, really pay attention when I was telling my story. So like, I think I'm boring and I think he's maybe not that into me. I don't know. And you know, he said that he'd call, but then like, I haven't really heard from him. And then like, he posted this like kind of weird thing on Snapchat. So I think he might be seeing someone else. And like, I ruined it. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, you, you do realize that you don't like him. Right. And I, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And I'm like, okay, you think he's aloof because he couldn't even like, he wasn't paying attention to your story. So like, clearly he has like the attention span of a squirrel and you don't want to have to deal with that. Um, he's not a good communicator. He doesn't have good follow through because he said he was going to call you and he didn't. And you don't like that. And then like, you don't like his social media practices. You think that's weird. So actually what I just heard is you don't like this guy. So why are you upset about it? Like what's going on? And then they'll like, think about it for a second. They're like, Oh my God, I don't like him. I'm like, no, you don't like him at all. (laughs) Man, I think we all need a Cali when we're dating. It's so funny because, and then it's just, it's like a light bulb moment. So it's like this, I just have to, it's like hurting cats. I'm like, no, 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 no. Come back, come back, come back, come back and, and recenter and realize that you have power in this. You have control in this. You get to dictate who you date. And if you didn't have a good time or if you feel anxiety after the date, or it's like, creating a hole, like a pit in your stomach, then like, that's not good. That's, that's not how you want to feel. That's not what you're going for. And not everyone is going to be this perfect fit for you. So it's not like it's black and white. Like, of course, there are going to be little nuanced things with like miscommunication or, or things that, you know, you have to like get used to whatever. But when it's like that blatant, they always think that it's their fault, that the guy didn't like them or the girl didn't like them. Right. And, and it, they internalize it and decide they're not good enough. When in reality, they just have higher standards than they think. And someone didn't meet them. And that's okay. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And I would love to send all my single friends to you because we just need you as our little voice of reason in the back of our heads. It, it's totally empowering. And all it is, is it's just this small little shift and realizing that you have a say And you don't have to sit here and wait someone to like you. You just have to wait until you like someone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, So that's fun. So I don't know if that totally answers your question. And then precursors to the quarter life crisis. I mean, honestly, every single time I find that it's a perceived loss of control. Just people feeling like they don't have a have a say or have a grasp on what happening in front of them. And that's really terrifying and frightening. And then, you know, you tend to spiral. At least this is what I did. It's like, I I didn't get the LSAT score that I wanted. And I felt like that was in my control. And I didn't get the guy that I wanted. And I felt like that should have been in my control. And then, you know, um, other like just little things like the girls that I wanted to live with in Dallas when I graduated, like, I remember them saying like, Oh, we just like, don't want a crowded apartment. So it was like, Oh, okay. Like I, I can't make, have the living arrangements that I want. And I felt like that was in my control. And so when you pile all those things together, all of a sudden you spiral and you're like, Oh, nothing's going to be in my control and adulthood's going to suck. And I don't have control over anything. And blah, 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 right. And that's normally what I start to see 
is when people are like not coming up with solutions for themselves because they're really overwhelmed. And it's not because they're not strong or confident or anything. It's just, you know, a lot happens at once in that transition to adulthood. So it's normal to feel completely out of whack and hopeless and, and scared. But that's normally what ends up happening is they spiral and then they spiral so much that they're like, oh, this is permanent. And this is life. When it's, you know, when of course it's not, it's going to work itself out. I, I mean, I can totally resonate with, and, and I can personally resonate. And then I have this conversation over and over again about control and just letting go and not for the sake of not being cheesy, but just being cheesy, enjoying the process. But how do you learn to enjoy the process? What are your tips for someone that's trying to navigate this? Because you don't just wake up and decide, I'm going to let go of control. <laughs> right, right. Well, and here's the thing. This is what this is why I think coaching is important or, or therapy or, or, or a really strong mentor or wh- whatever you want to call it or whatever works for you. Is when you're in it, like really in it, it is really tough to figure out what actually could be in your control and what can't be in your control. And we tend to get those wires crossed a lot. And so we take things as like it raining on your outdoor birthday party as bad luck or as of course this was would happen to me. Like, you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. like really it just is what it is and it means nothing and just make the best of it. Right. Right. Um, but we tend to start internalizing things that we can't control and decide that that actually is why we suck or why life's not going to work out or whatever. So again, this comes back to the mirror that you don't want to look at. So people come to me and they, and they lay everything out and I'm like, okay, this half you can't control. You need to practice, you know, breathing techniques. We need to talk it out. We need to find coping mechanisms, right? How can we live through it? This stuff you totally can control and you're rolling over on your back. Why are you doing that? Right. If you don't like where you live, change it. Yeah. If you don't like your job, change it. If you don't like the way that your mom talks to you, change it. Right. Like there are a lot of things that you can do. And even though you can't change your mom, which of course this is not about my mom because I love my mom. But you know, <laughs> let's say that, that you know that's the way that your mother speaks to you. Like, no, you can't control her behavior, but you can set boundaries that like let her know that you don't like the way that you know what I mean. So there are steps that you can take to control parts of your life that you've decided can't control. So it's that flip-flop that really messes people up. And when we can straighten that out and work on one coping techniques and then two solutions, people feel so much better. I mean, it's just night and day. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine. And just like you said, what whatever you want to call it, your therapist, your mentor, your coach, you know, I've worked with all. You know, I have quite a few mentors in my life who, you know, are kind of act as a meter for me to measure, you know, is this off or is the, you know, what's going on here? And then I have, you know, a great therapist. And a mindset coach. Like, I'm a big fan of investing in yourself. So what would you have to say to the female listener who is thinking, I don't have anyone speaking into my life. Where the heck do they start? What do you have to say to them? Come come check out Blush, girlfriend. I mean, okay. Number one, you can pay for it, right? And yeah. that's, that's, of course, like, and, you know, disclaimer, I am completely biased. So take this with <laughs> But, like... There are affordable options out there, hence Blush. Like, this is exactly why we created Blush, because, you know, the cheapest membership is 79 bucks a month, which 
some people might go off and be like $79 a month, but it, but I feel like the value that you get out of $80 a month is pretty incredible. I feel like we're basically giving away our coaching and, but you know, we, we take it seriously. We put a lot of work and effort into it and everyone has fun. So that's always an option for you. But like, second of all, I would ask you why, like, why is there no one in your life that you feel like you can't talk to? And why do you think that you can't change that? Because if you're telling me that like, okay, I get that you can't pick your family and that's fine, but you can pick your friends. And if you, if you really want to like tell me that you don't have friends that support you and listen to you and help guide you, then like, who are your friends? <laughs> yeah. What do you do with them? Why are you hanging out with them? Isn't that the point? So, you know, and I know some people out there are like super extroverted. So just like having a, someone with a pulse next to them makes them feel better. But like at some point we have to get a little more selective with who we put in our lives. Like, I, okay, I always botch this quote. So just like bear with me. But what, what's that? I don't know who said it or where it came from, but I still love it. It's you're the average of the five people you spend the yes. most time with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're mm-hmm. spending time with people who don't even care about your trajectory or your goals or your feelings. Like you are doing not only yourself a disservice, but like you're wasting your own time. Yeah. So what do you say to the person who listens to that and realizes, oh, I don't have that. Where the heck do you start or how do you start over? Because I think I've gotten, you know, to a place before where I'm like, ooh, some of these relationships are no longer serving either one of us. Like we're not doing anything great for each other. And then two, just being more selective. I think that comes to a lot, comes down to a lot of self-worth as well. Would you agree? Do you see that as a common pattern? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, and you know, I can say like be selective, but it's like, well, what does that mean? And it's going to mean different things to different people. I mean, some of the, my favorite work that I do, um, is all in the values. So doing like a values inventory and figuring out like, what is it that you truly value? Not what you think that you value. Right. Um, like a lot, like I use the word ambitious, but like not everyone values that a lot of people could care less what their friends do for work or if their friends want to be a top CEO or want to be the best in their craft. Like a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't aspire to work till, you know, 9 PM every night and have their own business and do that. And that's fine. So it's like, you know, coming to terms with, okay, for instance, this is a good one. I talk about this a lot. I don't necessarily value like being kind as a huge thing in my life. Like I'm totally fine with people who are a little rough around the edges. Don't maybe like think about everything they say before they talk. Like I'm not super sensitive when it comes to that. Like with certain people I am, but with a lot of people in my life, it's like, I, I, that just doesn't bother me. So I had to get real with the fact that like looking after like sweet, kind, sugary people, like doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be the best friend for me. I'd rather have people that are a little more like honest and blunt and kind of in your face. So that's a good example right there. Even though kindness is a value that most people would assume should be on the top of the list, but it it doesn't have to be. And so it's really about one getting familiar with what it is that you value, what it, what it is that you, that you really want in your life. And two, dissecting the friendships that you have right now and figuring out what it is that you like about them or what it is that attracts you to them in the first place and then comparing the list. Yeah. So like figuring it out right there because you're going to keep on repeating the same mistakes if you don't figure out what the disconnect was. Yeah. One thing I like to talk about a lot with my friends and we're new friends is um, that, you know, 
I think the year of 26, I'm 28, almost 29 now, was a year of a lot of friendship breakups for me. And the first, that first year, I really grieved those. Like I was sad because the good times were so good, but the bad times were so bad. And then now I'm in a season where I have a few friends with that similar personality, a similar dynamic, but we're both at a healthy place to, we're both willing to work. And so some where there's no willingness involved, you'll have to let them go. And then some you can work through the kinks and create a better dynamic for the both of you that serves you both well. But how, how does someone listening make peace with letting people go? Because even for someone like me, I'm learning this year that, oh, I have never, like, boundaries. I didn't have siblings to practice this with. So just boundaries weren't really a thing. My parents are boundaried people, so they don't, they're not invasive anyway. So I think they just subconsciously thought everything in life would be like that. But at the same time, I went into life totally unboundaried. And so when I did have a friend situation or a relationship situation that I had, like a romantic relationship that I had to put boundaries up, boundaries equated to bad or really hard. It felt like a total regression and connection. Boundaries felt like it cost connection. And so how does someone healthily do this who's like, man, okay, I have some toxic friendships in my life and I, I value myself more than this. Some of my friends, I was home in Tennessee last week, said, you know, we're in a season of teaching our family and friends how to treat us um, because sometimes we've allowed a dynamic to take place. So like, what do you say to that big, long ramble? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Like basically, because we all fear rejection. And I mean, we started out, you know, this episode with talking about rejection and how that can really propel you to be almost a different person. So I totally understand the fear of causing rejection because I think on some level we've all experienced it. And the idea of inflicting that on someone else is like so painful, but it's also so necessary (laughs) because just like I, just like we talked about, like rejection caused us to like get our butts into gear. So in a weird way, you're actually giving someone else a gift um, because by cutting ties, you're forcing people to like learn consequences that they didn't want to learn, learn lessons they didn't want to learn, right? And grow into someone else because by reinforcing bad behavior, you're not helping anyone grow. And while I never advise people to be like the behavior cop, it is a nice side effect though. So, you know, back to that, I, I love this quote of never set yourself on fire to keep someone else warm um, because it puts into such like visual terms what it is that you're doing when you're not cutting off toxic relationships. Like, you know, they're getting warmth, but you're getting third degree burns. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's really important to not sacrifice yourself for other people. And it, you know, this really comes less from learning how to reject others and more learning how to put yourself first and be okay with that. And so I do this with my clients. Sometimes I love this like pros and cons list. So we all have to accept that every choice we make has consequences. Every single one opportunity cost, whatever you want to call it. And it's really important to get familiar with those consequences and be ready for it. So like, Maybe like loving myself, putting myself first, doing what feels right for me is such an amazing choice, but it has consequences. Disapproving, you know, or people disapproving of my choices, which by the way, 
Like that's happened so many times. And I've had to like accept that and be okay with the fact that certain people in my life that by all intents and purposes, like should support me don't. Yeah. And just to get comfortable with that because it's like, well, I'm not going to live a life that's not meant for me to please you. So, you know, I, it's unfortunate that that has to be a consequence for this choice that I'm making. But like, if, if I write it down on paper and it's like, follow my dreams, you know, consequence, not being close with X and Y and Z. Right. And it's like, duh, this isn't even a question. Like, of course I'm going to do what makes me happy and I'm going to have to let other people go. I love that silver lining though, of being like, you know what? Maybe I'm imparting some good because rejection does help people grow. And maybe this person needs to learn in a tough way that being judgmental, being unsupportive, you know, doing toxic behaviors doesn't reward you. And at some point you're going to hit a wall and you have to figure out if you want to keep going like down that path with those consequences or if you want to change. So I actually think of it that way sometimes. I'm like, you know what? I'm actually doing them a favor and everyone's going to be fine. It's hard. It costs something though to set boundaries and to really, really move into that space of not lighting yourself on fire to keep other people warm. I mean, I really love that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what would be your advice? I know you have a book on this, so please tell us more. Of advice for someone in their 20s. Just kind of trying to figure out how to navigate life. I know that that post-college season, I found that to be extremely stressful. You know, we play Monopoly or not not Monopoly. We play the game of life when we're little. And it tells us, like, if we go this route, we'll make $180,000 a year. And then we'll get the car. And then we'll get the house. And then we'll get the family. And life is not that easy, you know. And we grow up and realize that might not even be our dream. So how do we navigate I found navigating, you know, mid twenties to be extremely hard. Yeah. I mean, so did I, for sure. You can pay me to go back there. (laughs) I, I love the concept of permanence. I find that a lot of my clients tend to get stuck in the, this is forever mentality when they don't even realize they're doing it. But you know, there is, the reality is is that things aren't going to just fall in your lap and you have to work for things. And you really are starting at zero when you, you know, graduate from college and go out into the real world. And we haven't experienced that in a really, really long time. Maybe some people kind of experienced it when they were a freshman, but they were so high on this is college that you didn't really feel it. So this is like the first time that you're really resetting and that's tough. And so I think embracing the fact that it's tough, and it's going to be hard is okay. I also think like this, just remembering this is not permanent. This is not forever. Things are going to change is really important because again, as we talked about earlier, the spiraling, that's when you're like, this is forever. I'm just, this is my life. It's, this is how hard it is. It's going to be like this always. And it's like, no. And having this idea that things are temporary is really empowering because I tell everyone, like anyone can get through something that lasts a year. You know, yep. you can you can remain at a bad job for a year. You can remain, you know, friends with someone you don't really like for a year. I mean, it seems crazy, but how, I mean, I blinked and it was August. Like, I it's agree. Just, right? How fast this year has gone. And so it's kind of like this, like all of a sudden you're creating mile markers for yourself. It's like, okay, I can do this. It's just temporary. This is not my forever job, but you know what? It's paying the bills right now. And I've got some time to figure out what's next. 
And it's this, like, if you can keep yourself excited by saying, like, okay, what's next? What am I going to do next? Then most people survive and have, like, a decent attitude during the journey, if you will. I also think that this game of comparison is at, like, an all-time high in your 20s because, you know, in college, I mean, I'm sure everyone compared themselves to other people, but at the same time, like, you had, like, a rubric. You had a grading curve. You had credits that you had to get in order to graduate and, you know, make good grades and, like, the LSAT score. I knew what score I needed to get in order to get into certain law schools, and it had nothing to do with what my friends were scoring. It was just objective. You make this score or you don't, right? And I think that that helped because, like, it wasn't as, like, I, I, I couldn't blame my friends for maybe not performing as well. And there was a little, you know, empowerment to that, that I had more control. When you graduate, like, you just don't have that. Like, you know, and it's almost like we come up with these mile markers that are arbitrary. It's like, oh, if you get married by your 24, like, you know, you get an A. If you get married by the time you're 28, then you get a B. By your 32, you get a C. You know what I mean? Like, we just make this up and decide that there are, like, ages in which we have to like you have to be making six figures by the time you're 30. It's like, says who? It's just crazy to me that we've just decided that we understand what success is and what age you have to meet it by and like, you know, what it means. So I think that like trying to get out of that and understanding that like your journey is going to be your journey and you might peak at 40. <laughs> like it just, it is what it is. And you have to embrace that. And so I think hopefully it'll alleviate that drive to, you know, check Facebook and be like, Oh my God, so-and-so just bought a house. Right. right. It's like, okay, well, you know, good for them, but that doesn't mean that you can't also buy a house. So, right. It doesn't, someone else's success doesn't take away from ours. And that's a great concept, but learning to lean into it is a whole nother drag entertainment itself, which is why you have a thriving business because we need you. <laughs> yeah. We yeah, need you for fun. this work. So, you know, what would your hopes be for people as they start tackling, you know, these kind of topics in their life, is it that they would walk in more fullness and more freedom to enjoy the life they love? Yeah, I think I would really love for people to just be more patient with themselves and to stop being so hard on themselves. I work with a lot of driven and ambitious women, and they want everything now, 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 now. And if they could just be a little more patient and understanding of their age, their experience, their knowledge, I think that we'd all probably be a little happier. But you know what? On the same token, it's like, I get it. And that drive is going to push them to be amazing later on down the road. And they're amazing now, but like they're going to reach their goals because they're being hard on themselves to get there. So, yeah, I mean, I do think this idea of mindfulness and just like enjoying the process, you know, embracing themselves and their shortcomings and their and their successes and like keeping perspective would be incredible but you know on the same side like that's why blush is here like at this while we're like you know bullshit detectors and yeah and, and pattern investigators we also make sure that we take time to be like hey did you even acknowledge how awesome you were this week like really you were gonna glaze over that little victory I saw that like take a few steps back. Let's talk about this. And so we're really there to highlight all the things that people are doing and especially women are doing that, you know, no one really cheers them on for. And that's, that's probably the most fun part. Yeah. I, I love that. And I love hearing, you know, your passion and your zeal for this because you can, you know, I, I, again, I really think we all need a Cali, you know, in the back <laughs> of our, 
carrying you around in our pocket. It's great. So what is one thing, you know, that modern society tells us? And I think you've already answered this in a way, but one thing that, you know, us as an audience, as your listener right here might be buying into that culture, probably American or Western culture tells us is important. That's not really important. And what's one takeaway we could walk away with to walk in more fullness in life? Yeah, I think I would probably choose ageism. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I know, I know that I'm working with 20-somethings and 30-somethings, but the funny thing is, like, when you hear ageism, you, like, think about, like, people in their, like, maybe, like, I don't know, 50s and 60s in the workforce. And by the way, those are usually men. So women are the ones that start dealing with this crap when we're in our 20s. This pressure to squeeze in as much work as possible because she's not going to be working when she has a baby, right? Uh, That's a subtle message. That's why women have to like kill it in the workforce because we have to leave it for a little bit and then hopefully we can come back. I mean, it's just like nuts to me. So there's that pressure. There's this pressure to get married by a certain time. And then of course there's pressure to have children by a certain time. And I will admit some of that is biological. We can't control that. But it just penetrates everything that we do. Yeah. I just feel like every girl is on a crunch for a timeline. I hear that all the time, a timeline, deadline. Like, we have to do something by this time. And I just, like, don't know if men even have that. Like, I just feel like they don't. I feel like they're like, oh, I'll buy a house when I buy a house, whatever. That's so true. Man, that that really makes me think. Yeah. They have all the time in the freaking world. And for some reason, we feel like we don't. And and I I know what the reasons are for the most part as we all do, but it would be really nice if we could just release ourselves from some of that. I don't think like, and thank you, modern science. There are ways to create loopholes in this anyway. (laughs) Babies later. Yeah. Throwing it out there. So, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to like not validate people who feel like these deadlines are very real, but I would at least encourage people to question them and push back on them and see what happens. Oh, and that's, that is 100% important. I think you phrased that really well, like not feeling bad for realizing, oh, I do have deadlines and timelines that are important to me, but being like, but why, you know, do I have to have this? Is this, is this what, is this what has been ingrained in me by society? Or is this actually a personal value of, I want a child by 32 just because I want one, you know? And so whose deadline is it? And yeah. that's what I want you to ask and answer. I, I love it. I love it. So where can everyone find you? Where can they keep up with you? Your personality is so fun and spunky and just like we need you to light a fire under us. So thank you for joining us today. Where can everyone keep up with you? Thank you. I love that. Okay. So if you want to come say hi, we're at joinblush.com. That's our website for blush online life coaching. The book can be found on Amazon, um, Conquering Your Quarter Life Crisis, How to Get Your Shit Together in Your 20s. Yes, I cuss in the title, so just Love be it. aware. Don't like cuss words. You're not going to like my book. What else? Okay, social media, at Join Blush. 
link Pinterest. It's like backslash join blush. Basically, if you just Google join blush, you'll find who we are. Well, it, it's gonna, you're going to have people wanting to keep up with you. I loved having you on today. Thank you so much for joining us, Callie. Kelsey, thank you. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. When it comes to heating and cooling, you can be sure it's done right. Guaranteed when you hire a Carrier Factory Authorized Dealer. An HVAC system sold and installed by a factory authorized dealer comes with great benefits. Experts with advanced training, integrity, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Turn to the experts at Carrier.com.